Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. It's a new week of shows here with you on FST. We're here every single day, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. It's great to be back with you. Hopefully you had a good weekend and certainly a lot to get to today here on the show. Joe Pizapia, Craig Bish, great to see all of you again out there in video land, audio land, however you are watching us. Make sure you stay tuned. we got a lot of great content all day long for you here on SportsGrid. And uh, Joe, we're going to uh, you know kind of start off where we left off last week, where today feels like a uh, a big day for baseball. It it's felt like a big day for baseball now for uh, almost four weeks, but uh, I feel like today is uh, is going to be a, monu- a monumentous day. Is that a word? Monumentous. I don't know. Monumental? It sounds good. Monumental. Uh, momentous. momentous. I, momentous. I think what you did is. You took momentous. monumental and momentous, and you made it one word. Which I is think really I'm going to make that word. Yeah, I think I, I like it. a new word today here on the show. I think yeah, it's a, a mission. Monumental, momentous day. <laughs> I'm just like jealous. I'm just jealous because every time I, I look outside your window, the weather's always perfect right behind you. Every every it's day we do this amazing. show, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It's like you know, just the clouds are beautiful. Everything looks so good behind you. You look so peaceful and restful despite the chaos going on in Major League Baseball. Uh, and whether it's a momentous, a monumentous, monumental, it doesn't matter. It's going to be a day. Uh, I can tell you that much. Uh, we all know some of the latest things that went back and forth. And I can't say most of us are surprised. I put a little Twitter poll out there, too, just to kind of, you know, I always like to take the temperature of the public. I like to consider myself a, a man of the people, as it were. And I said, who do you blame more for uh, the purgatory? And I use purgatory because I feel like that's a good word of baseball over the last, you know, couple of months or so. And I said, do you think it's the owners, the MLBPA, both or none? 54% say it's the MLB owners and 40% say both. So nobody's without blame, but nobody's certainly just blaming the players. That's only 4% of people out there. And we've got almost a thousand votes already. And I just put it up (laughs) this morning. So that's a fair amount. But I would say that, you know, we're kind of in an impasse where you have the players union coming out with their statement. And basically now it feels like the players are saying, just tell us when and where, and then we'll figure out if you want to go. And I heard a good friend of yours actually just on recently this weekend too, talking about uh, whether or not, you know, if, if MLB comes out with a 74 game schedule, let's say, then they're kind of doing the right thing. But if they go down to 50, they're not doing the right thing. Is that how you kind of see it as well as, as the owners now basically have all the leverage, they've waited it out. They know that playoff money is the money they want. I've been saying this for years, that baseball should be more playoffs, less regular season. I don't think baseball's stupid. They're recognizing there's more revenue in playoff baseball in terms of TV contracts than there is in regular season baseball by the time you get to you know August and September. So do you think at the end of all this now that it's going to be MLB sets a date, a number of games, and the players report? Or do they set a date, a number of games, and the players don't report? Yeah, I mean, I've been wrong every single step of the way here, so I guess there's nothing wrong well, with now. being wrong <laughs> one, one more time. Um, listen, I, I mean, originally, I thought that it was going to be somewhere between 50 and 82 paid in full. Uh, but anything less, to me, anything less than 82 is a win for the owners because essentially, uh, you know, that's the number that they didn't want to pay. So uh, I... I I mean, it feels like it's going to be somewhere again in that range. I guess I'll just stick to it. And it feels like the players are not going to get their full prorated pay uh, amongst that time. Uh, At least the owners have basically said we're willing to pay 50 games of your full prorated pay. The players are asking for 100. Uh, You know, you know, conceptually meeting somewhere in the middle would make sense to the general public. But for the owners, it does not because there are no fans uh, in those games. Now, I understand that. What happened on Saturday essentially was, you know, MLB, you know, sort of planted uh, the players sort of planted a report to come out to show how much money the owners were going to be making off their TV contracts. And in two years, there's no question that they are, but they will incur massive losses for this season. There's no question if they chose to play 100 games, pay the players and not have any fans potentially in those stands. I get that. 
the unfortunate part, again, for me, is what I've said all along, and I'll say it again. I'm not surprised that this has sort of happened, uh, but the reality is is that they just didn't have the foresight to understand that every single little thing was going to be leaked, and now they've just exacerbated the problem by having these statements come on on a Saturday night. Like, anybody really wants to be concerned with what is going on back and forth, and uh, that's the shame of this whole thing. I think that if inevitably they did choose today to play less than 60 games, there would be a lot of disenchanted people with this season. I don't think it will change for the future at all. I'll still maintain that. I still think that baseball will come back very strong in February, March, spring training. People will want to be there in Arizona and Florida, and there'll be a renewed excitement for the game. But I will say that in particular for this season, given what's happened, if the end result is a very short schedule— I think that there could be some fans that will be disenchanted with it. I still think that they will watch, and I still think that they will watch the postseason. But this has dragged on to the point, essentially, that I I think that some people are going to be apathetic. And that's the worst thing that you could ask for, is Mm. that, look, I think right now, this is great for baseball. I mean, you may think it stinks, but it is great because there's a lot of attention on the game. But if people aren't paying attention and they don't care, that's when something is wrong. So to this point, I still think we're okay. It's annoyed us all. I don't think that we'll care in a year from now about it. But since it's on the top of everybody's mind and everybody wants baseball back, it's kind of what we're dealing with right now. But uh, long story short, it's somewhere between 50 and 75, and they're gonna and the owners are gonna have to pay the players in full. Um, Mm-hmm. somewhere between 50 and 60. But again, if if it's in the 70s, I don't think that they're getting their full pay. I guess, you know, I think you're absolutely spot on about the apathetic <laughs> feeling about things. I think that's where you're looking at. I also kind of wonder, Craig, uh, on the maybe less discussed version of this, where are the new fans coming from? You know, it's always difficult to generate new fa- new fandom in a sport. I feel it's, you know, it's one thing about we're always so focused on will people come back? Well, those people are already fans. What about the new fans? What about people like your son? Like, I understand, like, he happens to be somebody looking at YouTube videos and all these other things. He's an exception to the rule, obviously. He is an exception to the rule. But I think there's probably, again, you're you're hitting a weird window here where I think it's very difficult for baseball to continue to generate new fan bases. You're always so worried about holding on to the own old ones and making sure that you don't alienate them or, and if you are, that they come back. And we're always talking about that. But we have never talked about it on this show what Major League Baseball is doing to bring about new fandom and and grow this game and make it uh, a game that the youth of this country is more interested in. And I understand there's a lot of baseball academies and a lot of that, but I think when you look at ratings, they'll show you that people don't watch at the same clip they used to. And that's because you're not creating new fans at the same rate that some other sports are, like the NFL, like the NBA. You know, at one point, baseball was the cool sport. I know it was in the 80s for me, and I, I know we talked about this. We both feel like in 1994, something just never came back the same way. All of a sudden, I think baseball became different in that sense. The 81 strike hurt a little bit, but I don't think it hurt nearly as much as the 94 version. And that 94 version, we've kind of been living in that post-reconstruction of baseball. And the steroid era helped to bring it back, but that was like a false bring back and a false thing. And it turned out that was that was bad, too. And there's all the negativity. And I guess publicity is better than no publicity. And you're you're talking about we're talking about baseball now. I think it's fascinating. You go back into the the MLB union, um, excuse me, the uh, owner statement, which is the MLBPA's position that players are entitled to virtually all the revenue from a 2020 season played without fans is not fair to the thousands of other baseball employees that clubs and our offices are supporting financially during this difficult 2020 season. And I feel like with 38 million people on unemployment right now, I think everybody looks at it and says, yeah, my boss is making more money than I do but I still have to work and I still need to work or I'm, you know, trying to work. And I think from a PR standpoint, the players are just eventually going to have no choice, but to go back to work under whatever the owners put out there. They might've tried to fight this good fight here, but I think the perspective, no matter what is their low base salary is $560,000 a year. That's 10 times the normal Americans average salary and I think that divide is something that people can't wrap their mind around. There's like, hey, you know what? We're all taking a hit this year. You take a hit too. Do you think that mentality's fair? 
I, I think it is, and I, and I think that you would find just as many people uh, against you and on the other side of it, mm -hmm. saying that the owners are billionaires and they don't need the money, and the richer are are in a position to help the poor, the poorer, and they mm -hmm. should. And I'm not saying that one side is right or wrong. I think it's a pretty galvanizing thing to see so many people on both sides. I think both sides are certainly to blame. But the one thing that I will maintain, and I know that you and I see this a little bit differently, is that I don't think that the game is in trouble at all. And if Saturday was any indication, you're talking about a contract that is more than the NBA and is rival and is um, is basically not what the NFL is, <laughs> but you're talking about a billion dollar television deal. So let me ask you this. If baseball is in so much trouble, why is Fox handing over billions of dollars to a TV deal with Major League Baseball? I you may be, you may be right in 20 years, but in the next five or 10, you're not. I mean, that's you're just, you're not wrong. I how long is this deal for? Seven, I think. Right. I think I think that's where I'm looking at. I think in the micro, you're right. I think in the macro, I'm right. Whereas long term, I think the different choices we have, the different sports kids are playing growing up, the on-demand society we live in. Also, you know, when you look at the scope of the people who are playing Major League Baseball, what the demographics are of those people, too, is very different. I think that baseball isn't doing itself any services here. And it's a shame because baseball is and forever will be my first love. And it saddens me at a certain point that I'm not saying that the owners are without fault. They absolutely are. I'm saying it's just so unfortunate that the point of view went from safety, always safety first, to how much money am I getting to go play. And that's where I think the divide happened because I feel like so many of my friends who are out there who have lost jobs and so many people out there who, you know, are working jobs and, and working overtimes and not getting paid a lot of money out there as essential workers, quote unquote. I'm just thinking like 2020 feels like a kind of year where maybe we do play for the love of game. Maybe we do look for something bigger than ourselves. And every now and then there's that opportunity. And yeah, you know what? The owners are gonna make billions of dollars next year and the year after and the year after. But at a certain point, like, do you, when does the game become bigger than that? And it's not. It's a business. And it's always going to be that way going forward. And unfortunately, I think that's just where we're stuck. I just feel like we've turned 2020 into the 2021 CBA agreement at the worst possible time. I would be very cognizant of saying that the game is not healthy and the teams are not healthy and the league is not healthy. It may be a different conversation 20 years from now. But if you're telling me that the Kansas City Royals sold for over a billion dollars and so did the Miami Marlins and they're willing to give billions of dollars toward television, even if no one shows up to the game, something is going right for baseball. I, I can't put a finger on it, but it is. I mean, just, baseball, just baseball's biggest advantage is volume. But I think the restructuring that volume is going to be necessary. That is what they have over every other sport is there's twice as much of it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in the future, but we go back to the past coming up next this day in fantasy sports history and our fantasy sports birthdays. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Yeah, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish along with Joe Pizzapia. It's great to be back with you here on this June the 15th, 2020. But as always, what we do here throughout our shows is take a little bit of a step back and say, what happened in fantasy sports? What happened in reality sports in the past? And so we've been doing this now for a few months, and we continue the ball rolling here for our This Day in Fantasy Sports edition of the 15th of June. And we also have some really good birthdays coming up, too, some players and coaches that we're going to be talking about, so stay tuned to that as well. Let's start off with 1977. The Mets made a epic trade of moving Tom Seaver to the Cincinnati Reds for Pat Zachary. Seaver had a good career with the Mets, uh, almost 10 years, but they did not feel they could sign him. They did not feel there was a future there, so they traded him uh, to the Reds. And, uh, and certainly Seaver went on to have a phenomenal career with the Reds and uh, played with a bunch of other teams too. Uh, but really, I would say that he was probably remembered his best years with the Cincinnati Reds. I think that's probably fair to say. Oh, I I, I will. I think you're just getting to me this morning. Tom Seaver of Red? What are you, crazy? He's a Met. 
He's in the Hall of Fame as a Met. He's a Met for goodness sake. I mean, come on, like what? What, what are is we he, doing? Is he on the? Is he yes. on the? Yes. Yeah, we have one. You're gonna take away the one Hall of Famer we have. All right, I'll one. take it back. I made a mistake. I'll say Mets. Now we have I'll two go. with Piazza, but like we had one for about thirty something years. I mean, you're killing me, Smalls. I mean, you gotta take away the one thing that we had as Mets fans, and we don't have nice things. This is part of being a Mets fan. We don't they get win nice the World things. Series with the Mets. Yeah, came up there, said a bunch of uh, records early on, and. Look, Tom Seaver's career, when you go look at some of those complete games, the ERA numbers some years, they're just, they're off the charts, man. Uh, and this Seaver trade was one of the darkest days, many Met fans will tell you. And uh, they did get Pat Zachary back in the deal, who had a couple of decent seasons there for the Mets, but it was not, uh, you know, it was not Tom Seaver, let's put it to you that way. And this became the dark ages of the Mets. You know, they had that run in 69 where they won, and in 73, got to the World Series, and then new ownership came in. New things changed, and it was some dark days until, of course, Nelson Doubleday uh, came in and purchased the team, along with another guy named Fred Wilpon, who shall not be mentioned on this show much more than that. Uh, but fun fact here, most people don't realize that uh, there was an outside chance in 86 of him coming back to the Mets because the Red Sox released him, and he was in talks to actually come back and kind of join that team for one more run from that World Series. So that would have been an incredible moment for Mets fans, but it was not meant to be. He did make that other quick return there for a short period of time. I want to say 1983, if memory serves there. But we all remember that uh, that shining day in Yankee Stadium, too, when he was a White Sox. I think you remember, too. That was uh, Tom Seaver. Perfect game or no hitter? I can't remember. Do you recall? Yeah. Uh, I think it was no hitter. But um, was too. really bad job by me. I should have had Mets. I don't know why. I, I. You know what it is, is that when I was growing up, he was on the Reds. So right. it was like that. Good that's years. sort of what I remembered. But yeah, if you go back in history, it's not close. It it definitely was the Mets. He won a lot I more games. A lot more I, I, honestly, no, I, I, I was you. not for some reason. I don't know why the Reds came to mind. But he had some. You know, some of his best years were with the sure. Reds. Yeah. But but he pitched twelve years for the Mets. So yeah, it's not I, close. I just always know, like you know, as a Met fan, we're easy to tweak. So I just thought you were kind no, of no. He's no def definitely got that. Definitely got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1987, uh, in really the, honestly, the worst time for the heavyweight division in boxing up until like the last few years, uh, Michael Spinks, wow, he was actually a champion, beat Jerry Cooney to win the heavyweight title. Uh, Spinks essentially had a two or three year run of heavyweight champion and didn't beat a single person during that time. There was just nobody fighting in that division. Tyson, uh, you know, got in trouble at that time. He was, I think, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tyson, didn't he knock out Spinks in like 10 seconds or something like yeah, that? I think this is I think actually... Yeah, Michael, this was, I think, I want to say either 88. It might have even been the same year in 87. I'd have to go back and look. I don't recall. But Spinks won the title, and then it was the rise of Mike Tyson, and then that was, that was it. it. That was it. It was the Mike Tyson era after that. But it's nice to see Jerry Cooney making a overlap we of shows Jerry from last week to this Maybe week. Maybe we could put Jerry Cooney in here with a win. I don't know if we'll find one. But we gotta let's win get him on the show and talk about these fights. I mean, geez, we, we've hit Jerry Cooney month here. June was Jerry Cooney month. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Uh, all right, so now we go back-to-back -back Spurs, but, I mean, wow, 11 years apart here. The Spurs in 2003 win the NBA title 4-2 to over the New Jersey Nets. And so, you know, David Robinson, a big part of this team, and, of course, uh, Tim Duncan. And then, uh, all of a sudden, Tony Parker and, and Manu Ginobili become more of a part of the team, although they were on the 2003 team as well. Uh, but in 2014, it's them, along with Kawhi Leonard, they win an NBA title over the Miami Heat, which essentially, Joe, um, you know, put an end to that little Miami Heat dynasty that they had. Remember in 2011, uh, LeBron's first year they with the Heat, they lose to Dallas. They come back and win back-to-back right. -back titles. And then uh, they lose 4-1 to one of the Spurs. LeBron takes his jersey off and uh, goes on a trip somewhere. Pat <laughs> Riley goes to meet him. Uh, goes to speak to him. They go into a room together talking about, you know, him coming back to the Heat. And it was during the World Cup. And I guess LeBron is in a room with Pat Riley. Maybe a couple of other people are there as the story goes. And Pat Riley is talking to LeBron. LeBron is looking the other way the whole time watching the World Cup game, just nodding his head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Pat Riley leaves the room. The next day, he signs back with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Weird way uh, that LeBron went about that. But that was... I mean, the Heat, the Heat basically has never rebounded from that, and it's really hard to rebound once you lose your player. I mean, you're going to see the Cavs having to try and rebound again now the last couple of years losing LeBron. But um, 
It was, I, I mean, I don't know. When you look at the Heat's run with LeBron, I mean, can you be upset? They won two championships no, with the guy. No, but like losing 4-1 is not good. That's that's not close. <laughs> that's like, you know, that's I, think that's I don't I don't I think that we'll look back on that one and say maybe he was had one foot out the door there. He would never maybe 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 things were falling apart. Yeah, and you and I both know sometimes when you have those mercenary teams, sometimes they do well, sometimes not. Sometimes, you know, when you and it happens in all sports. Uh, I think what I'm taking away from this, too, when you're looking at 03, 14 and there's some other years before spurs that one again so in, spurs in spurs spurs and i'm starting to wonder to myself are the spurs the most underappreciated organization when you consider you know what they did here in the nba and kind of the low-key greatness of this spurs dynasty say, let's call it that i, I mean yeah. right i mean the continuity of coaching of greg popovich the continuity of the organization the plan i know it frustrates some people but the way that you know you could even kind of blame the spurs and <laughs> for the way some guys have been managing the nba ever since of yeah well the playoffs are all that matters so we're just going to get the playoffs and we'll rest guys when we want to rest guys and get the minutes they need and then when the playoffs come on we'll turn on that other gear and we'll win yeah. and it worked so in a lot of ways they kind of you know changed the nba for good and bad but I think when we have to look back at the Spurs, we have to understand what an incredible run they've had for 20 plus years of being a relevant organization over that span. And I think that is that, that speaks a lot to, again, coaching organizations and people who say that leadership and coaching doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, you're not paying attention. I mean, look at some of the guys who you connect. You talked about Pat Riley. We've talked on the show about Phil Jackson. We've talked to, you know, Greg Popovich. You know, it does matter. Jerry Sloan, another guy who is a coach forever yeah. and always had high standards and good teams and high integrity. Of course it does. Coaching is more than X and O's. It's understanding and managing the personalities and the players. And it is so difficult to do in a game where the players make so much more than the coaches. And it's across the board in all, in all sports like that. You know, go look at the Patriots. It's, it's Belichick. Go look at, you know, Major League Baseball. Joe Torre had those runs with the Yankees. Were the Yankees winning before Joe Torre got there? Yeah, but not championships. And that's the whole thing. It's like certain personalities, you have to understand, it, it is important. It's about managing of people. And I think it's time we start respecting them more than just guys who kind of push the button on X's and O's. Because I think people have gotten way far to the other end of the spectrum about what managers and coaches and head coaches are. And they've forgotten that at the end of the day, they're there to manage the people, get the most out of these individuals. And every individual needs different things. And that is a skill in and of itself that you cannot measure with statistics. We'll move on to 2015. The Chicago Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup final 4-2. to two over the Tampa Bay Lightning. That'll close out this day in fantasy sports history. Now let's go over to our birthdays for the day. June 15th, we've got a couple of coaches right here at the top. Mike Holmgren, Super Bowl winning coach, of course, with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, 1949, we've got Dusty Baker, great manager for many years, great player for many years with the Los Angeles Dodgers, of course, Oakland A's as well. Now the manager of the Houston Astros, hopefully this year if things get settled. 1958 Hall of Famer Wade Boggs, more than 3,000 hits, former American League hitting champion. 1972 Andy Pettit, great World Series champ with the New York Yankees, went over to the Astros, came back with the Yankees as well. Uh, Justin Leonard, number one golfer in the world. And then 1984 Tim Lincecum, former Cy Young Award winner with the San Francisco Giants. So kind of a more of a baseball theme today. Feels like we got some pretty big baseball names in this. And of course, a coach and a manager as well. Yeah, and I was really looking forward to this 2020 baseball season of Dusty Baker managing the Astros because I thought that was a great personality to bring in for this specific team because Dusty Baker's that guy. It's like, man, you know, I've been close as a manager and I'd love to win that one finally. And you know what? He's just never quite gotten there. So close in San Francisco. So close. And, of course, there's that moment on the mound where a lot of people thought that uh, – you remember that story where he gave, he gave him the game ball or something like that? He took out a pitcher. And there was something that went on and he gave him the ball and like let him walk away as if it was like the game was over and he was going to get to hold the winning game ball. And I remember the Angels players noticing this and going crazy in the dugout. And then they they brought in the, that reliever and then the Angels made an incredible comeback in that game and eventually won the, se the series. Um, so I, I think Dusty is the perfect mm -hmm. guy to bring into that scenario. Uh, Wade Boggs, obviously, we've talked a lot about him on this show in the last uh, couple months and weeks. Andy Pettit, you mentioned the Astros there. I think a lot of people forget that run of him and Clemens over there. Yeah. And those Astros teams being pretty formidable with that one-two punch where they basically picked up, left the uh, New York drama, and came over to Houston. It was a far less drama, and they seemed real comfortable in that uh, in, the, in that little window of time there being the one-two punch in that rotation. 
Yeah, both Texas guys, and I think that played a factor yeah. in it. And uh, and then, you know, of course, Pettit went back and, and pitched for the Yankees again. I think that most people, of course, would remember him as a Yankee and another really underrated player, I think, in their history. Everyone discusses the core four and then Bernie Williams, um, you know, but certainly the pitching of the Yankees was really important. They had a lot of good ones, and Andy Pettit was was really every time they needed a win in a big game, yeah. they they went to Pettit, and he usually got it for them. So um, certainly worth mentioning. Also, Justin Leonard was a great golfer, uh, still is, but, you know, doesn't get mentioned a heck of a lot. Wanted to make sure he gets on there. And then, of course, Tim Lincecum, who uh, had a very brief but very good baseball career that probably people wouldn't have predicted would have been as good as it was, but uh, – as fast as it came was as fast as it ended yeah. with him. It was well, sort of kind of a bizarre career. It was, but you know what? I think at least he had that window. You know, some guys never had oh, that window. Oh, anybody would take it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matt Harvey didn't even get that long of a window, for God's no. sake. I mean, he, Lincecum's he like, that Lincecum yeah, <laughs> he would kill for that window. His window was so much shorter. And a lot of guys would. And Lincecum, I think, physically, there was only so much, you know, that you were going to get out of that arm. And yeah, we've seen some of the smaller pitchers. We talked about Roy Oswalt on the show not that long ago as well, that there are certain guys that you just know the frame is going to hold up for a certain amount of time. And Lincecum, unfortunately, he had that incredible window where he was dominant. It didn't last as long as we hoped, but he was certainly fun to watch. And I'll never forget being on air live during that no-hitter and just doing the play-by-play basically for it on the radio. And it was an amazing thing to be a part of. I have goosebumps just thinking about it. So good job by Timmy there. All right, more goosebumps coming up next. We dive into some of the hot topics around fantasy sports, NBA, some Major League Baseball. We're back after this. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you as we get closer to the return of the NBA. It's I mean, it's just one thing after the other trying to get any of these seasons going. I mean, we thought getting through a virus was tough. Well, obviously, the NBA and a lot of its players are standing up for arguably the most important topic that we've seen in this country, uh, maybe in our lifetimes, Mm -hmm. with making sure that uh, racial divide ends and ends quickly. One of the reasons... um, that this has become such an interesting topic is because Kyrie Irving, one of the great players in the NBA has voiced his opinion, Joe, essentially saying that maybe now isn't the time to have everybody to uh, fly down to Orlando to play basketball. And there are some players who feel that potentially maybe uh, they're in agreement with Kyrie Irving. Now it, we are prisoners of the moment here. Right. And, And this just happened. And maybe we'll feel differently in a day, a week, or a month. And I think it's very important that Kyrie Irving's thoughts need to be heard. Hard to disagree with some of the things that he's saying, too. But I would also say that him being the vice president of the Players Association means that we should take this pretty seriously and wonder if there will be some players that won't play in this upcoming shortened NBA regular season and playoffs. I would say this. Sometimes these things have a way of... of dying down in terms of being a hot topic or hot take in two weeks, maybe things, you know, start to get back to normal on that end of the world. And if it does, then perhaps that all the players will show up, but uh, far be it from me to try to predict as to whether or not this is going to happen or not, but it's worth bringing up here on the show today to say that some players are very upset and simply put, don't want to be part of what's going on right now. Well, I could say this much. Number one, he's right. Uh, Of course, social injustice is more important than sports. But the good news is that sports gives you a platform to discuss and continue to move the ball forward on this movement. And that's what it is. I think I think what people are realizing now about this and I think why it feels so different compared to some other times in our country is because when you look out there and you see the people who are out there in these peaceful protests and you see the many different colors, many different genders and many different it's, it's a very different kind of tone. You see support from leagues. You see support from individual teams. You see support from businesses. You see support coming around that that was never the case. I think you and I both know in our lifetime, you know, the 60s were a very pivotal point. Uh, and I think that all that did really was 
again, move the ball forward to one spot where it was about creating this awareness. And it was very sad because I, I actually remember in the last week or so talking to my two daughters and separately, you know, we can, they kind of come in a room and they see news on your, you know, they ask questions and things. And I just tell them what, what the protests were about. And I said, it's for racial equality and people trying to understand that there's still things that aren't, you know, necessarily uh, where they should be in this country and we can do better. And they both said separately to me, but I thought Martin Luther King fixed that. Because as a child, like that's you learn that in school and you figure that out. And I had to explain. I said, no, what he did was he advanced that. And he did fix that for a lot of people, but not for everybody. This feels collectively like we're in a different place here. And Kyrie Irving is absolutely right. And I think it's important to say what he said. But I also think as time goes on, he's going to realize that the platform of being on television and having these moments on national TV where everybody's watching and collectively advancing that movement is priceless. And I think they will come to that understanding. And I think what he's right, it's coming from a really good place. I think a really genuine place of him saying, God, this, you know, this basketball is inconsequential to this. This is life and death. This is, this is bigger issues. But you know what? I can advance this movement more with the bigger the platform. And there's no bigger platform than you and I both know than national television. So I think in the end, I do think they will certainly go out there and play. And if they don't, I understand. If that's the reason you're yeah. not playing, because then that's a whole lot better reason of we're not getting paid the right amount. Like all of a sudden you're taking on something that means a lot more and is a lot bigger than you. And I think that's the where we lose that perspective of, of you know, what when does it become bigger <laughs> than, than the individual? And and you know, it's it's an important thing to to ask ourselves that question. And good on Kyrie Irving for even voicing this opinion. And I do believe, Craig, kind of like you, that in a few weeks he'll see, you know what, maybe things are dying down. The best way to continue to advance and remind and move forward is to have that platform. And I think the NBA is, in fact, I know the NBA is going to give them that platform. Yeah, Austin Rivers of the Rockets consequentially said yesterday it would be better to play and, and use the platform as well. So he certainly yep. would agree with you. Um, interesting story here uh, from Major League Baseball, aside from all of the labor <laughs> stuff that's going on on Saturday, all of a sudden just a random story comes out in The Athletic essentially saying that they want uh, a letter to the Yankees unsealed because it you know, says that they stole signs also. Now, obviously, this got the attention of social media. So naturally, Alex Bregman posts something and Carlos Correa posts something because what's better to be guilty than to be guilty with others, you know? And so, um, look, I mean, we, weird sort of take there by both of those two guys. But I, I do think it kind of speaks to the fact that if we did decide to uncover things, we would find that a lot more teams were uh, stealing signs and doing things. It's just that the Astros in particular took it to this uh, level that we had never heard of before. But I am certainly curious to see in the coming weeks what it found with the Yankees. There are some people uh, in the media that are saying that this is really nothing new, that everybody knew about this, uh, and they did the investigation and didn't find anything. But far be it for me to say what we're going to hear about the Yankees now in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> well, if, if there's nothing to see here, then why do they not want it released? I guess that's always what it comes down to. Like, if, Yeah, if I really don't know. Spy, I don't then know. why are you yeah. fighting it? You know, and that... Uh, you know, and some of it goes back to 09, too. There were some comments there from Mark Teixeira where they were saying things to the effect of, oh, well, we were using replay that we had in the dugout where we were able to see things and then start to pick up on cues and signs. And and this is going back to that bigger thing that, I, again, it's like when this whole thing broke, you and I were doing the radio version of the show together. And I said very clearly, absolutely, you Astros deserve everything they get. They were wrong for what they did, how they did it. Sign stealing in baseball has been a part of baseball forever. If you think they're the only ones doing it with high-tech stuff, you're wrong. The Astros are just doing it better and doing it so, so much in your face that eventually they just like, eh. And part of the reason I wonder if they were doing it in your face is because they knew, well, the Yankees are doing it too. Well, this, how are we going to keep up with the Joneses if we don't do this better than the Yankees or better than X organization or Y organization? And I always felt like that was kind of the thing. And the tone from the players who seemed kind of tight-lipped about this whole thing, when you would ask the Astros guys, they would go, mm-hmm, yep, we were wrong. We were definitely wrong. And then you could tell underneath that it's like, uh-huh, and so are they, and so are they, and so are they. But there's that code. You know what? I, baseball's already got two black eyes. Why not give it some black, <laughs> some ribs and the black and blue over here? Let's let's hit it a couple of times, maybe break a kneecap with this scandal. Like, what else can we pile on to Major League Baseball 
But if there's nothing to see here, then why don't the Yankees want it open? And that's that's my question to you, Craig. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So it's impossible <laughs> to speculate. Maybe it has something to do with this. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. Maybe. But, uh, you know, we'll see. And, we'll, and, and again, uh, Major League Baseball has access to all of this information and the investigation. And the Yankees were not suspended or punished at all. So we'll find out in the coming weeks if this is much ado about nothing or something in the future for the Yankees. Of course, the Red Sox and the Astros both getting punished and uh, losing draft picks as well. Uh, former Penn State quarterback and New York Jet quarterback who basically couldn't play at Penn State. It was a bad pick by the Jets at the time. Don't know why it was. Uh, also played for the Oakland Raiders. I'm happy to hear this, that Christian Hackenberg is going to try and make a comeback as a Major League Baseball pitcher. And I got to tell you, in the day and age of the NFL, when you get your start, essentially, and after a couple of years of flaming out, if you're a multi-sport athlete, I know that baseball is harder to play than football. Football's once a week, baseball's every day, harder to hit a baseball than anything else. I get it. But why not? You know, I mean, we've seen Major League Baseball teams take players from football and they've never played a down and they've never even attempted it. I think that this is a pretty good idea. I can't tell you whether Hackenberg can play or not. But if position players can try and make their way out of being a position player into a pitcher and try, I mean, it didn't work for Anthony Ghost, the outfielder. It hasn't worked for J.B. Shuck, the outfielder. But maybe Christian Hackenberg can go from football player to baseball player. At least give it a shot. I mean, he probably can't hit. I mean, that's the moral of the story here because, I mean, he wouldn't well, try out as a, he's a pitcher. <laughs> what he probably pitcher can? can't hit at all. Right. So that's the end of that. But maybe, maybe well, he can. <laughs> that's right. Well. Yeah, they never will, probably. They never will. But maybe he can get up to 91, 92 miles an hour. I have no idea, but I'm curious. I, I always like these stories, and I like players who are looking at things in a different way because clearly this guy's not a quarterback in the NFL. Well, Anthony Ghost got some time in the big leagues. You know, I mean, I think I think that's the thing. You look at it and say, hey, it becomes a personal challenge as an athlete. Can I get to that highest level? I don't know. Maybe he can. I, I'd be rooting for him for sure. I think you look at these guys, too, and just 25 years old, it's horrible to think that you've been in athletics your entire life. He's probably been in athletics since he was eight years old. And now, at, you know, 23, 24 years old, I know, someone tell you done. your career's over is sad. So if yeah. I'm a 25-year-old guy, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I still got something left in the tank. I'm going to go try this or that. I mean, then there's guys like Herschel Walker who could be 60 years old. And he's like, hmm, let's see. I've done bobsled. I've done this. Maybe I'll try beach volleyball. Like he just, he keeps pushing himself. And you know what? If it makes him happy, I say, go do it. Baseball's always got more opportunities for people uh, because there are more levels of professional baseball, quote unquote. Uh, there will be less of them, obviously, going forward. But I think it's a great story. I'm rooting for him. Uh, you know, he had some moments at Penn State, but I think a lot of people would tell you they were very surprised when he was drafted to be an NFL quarterback. A lot of people did not think he was going to obviously make that transition, and he didn't. So maybe this is the best thing for him, and I think we'll have to monitor this. And good news is independent baseball is not that far away as well from coming back, and there's been a lot of guys here. You know, I, I live about 15 minutes from the Somerset Patriots, uh, and Shane Spencer, their manager there, and I've seen a lot of guys who were there who used to be major leaguers and a lot of guys who ended up back in big league organizations from playing there. So independent baseball is an important thing. And I encourage everybody to go out there and support it because you're supporting people like this who are trying to, you know, still live a dream. And it's a lot more cost effective than going out there and, you know, taking the family of four to a, to a big league game. That's for sure. It's a lot cheaper than that. And it's a good time. The independent league baseball, I, I'm all for now. He hasn't signed with an organization, right? He's just trying to come back. I think correct? he's going to try. Yeah. Okay. And and again, it's part of being an athlete. He will be able to earn a little bit of money, at least in the minor leagues. And say what you will about Tim Tebow, who in the end will not work out as a major league player. He's a pretty good inspiration for a lot of these football players who didn't end up making it to say, hey, look, if this guy with all of the accolades who doesn't need the money and it doesn't make a difference whether or not he succeeds or not, if he's still trying at the minor league level, well, hey, maybe I should too. And so, um, you know, we'll see if Hackenberg ends up making it. I will say that Tebow was a much better college quarterback than Hackenberg. <laughs> and his track record, by the way, in the pros was a lot better than uh, Christian Hackenberg. I'm not saying Tim Tebow would have been a superstar in the NFL, but man, they got a raw deal in the NFL. He won a little bit on those teams he was on and just... Never really got ugly wins, but wins nonetheless, Craig Mish. <laughs> he, I mean, Brent Dilfer was a winner too, you know, like, I don't know. Always disappointed to see that Tebow never got a real shot after that, but I understand they got Peyton Manning. I mean, how are you going to, you can't, can't argue that fact. 
All right, uh, we got to take a quick break here on FST. When we come back next, uh, this baseball season clearly at this point is truncated, probably below 80 games. What is it going to look like and what happened in a truncated piece of last season? You'd be shocked to hear some of these results. We'll tell you next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back as we await the final word from Major League Baseball as to how long the season is going to be, the where's and when's, and what the schedule is going to look like. I'm sure we'll get some resolve here in the next couple of days. And of course, I'll be wrong about that. We won't. We'll still be talking about a season in August and September. We'll be talking about a season in January at this point, probably. But uh, look, a worst case scenario here would be 50 games or less. And that worst case scenario at this point does exist in order to start some sort of season. I know that there'll be a lot of people who won't take it all that seriously. Fantasy is Definitely very much in question, I would say, in baseball in 2020 as well. But I think that, Joe, people would be very surprised to see the differences as to what would have happened after 48 games or in a 48-game stretch or 50-game stretch last year. Simply put, team that won the World Series wouldn't have been there. Teams that really didn't get a shot at the end of the season would have made the playoffs. It's just, I mean, that's that's why the beauty of baseball is having 100 games, 150 games. And uh, in this case, there is no beauty. It's just let's cram, let's cram it in as fast as we can. Well, even I don't want a 50-game season. I don't. Uh, I keep saying to everybody, give me 100 regular season games, 62 games of glorious playoffs in a World Series, and I'm very happy. But that's never going to happen. I'm living in fantasy land. But I think it was interesting to go back. And again, this is the best rough estimate. So this was as of May 21st in 2019. So this is basically... And I again, I say basically 48, 50 games, somewhere in that range for all these teams. And you start with the American League. And with the American League, the balance of power, not that different than what we ended up with. And that was kind of the first big thing. You made a great point at the beginning as well. We didn't have that Nationals run, but they were a team that got hot in the second half and kind of rode it all the way through. The division leaders at the time were the New York Yankees at 30 and 17 the Minnesota Twins at 32 and 16, and the Houston Astros at 33 and 16. So basically your division winners didn't change. They were the same division leaders in, <laughs> at this point in May that they were when we closed up shop in the regular season uh, in terms of who the wild card teams were. You had the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Indians. So that's kind of interesting too, when you realize Cleveland had so many other issues that they ended up dealing with last year. But That was the very first thing that hit to me was kind of shock and awe (laughs) that really the American League power, at least, did not change all that much. So from that perspective, do you think, you know, just from the American League that that was a maybe enough of a sample size to get an idea of who the best teams in baseball, at least in the American League, were? I mean, off of last year, it does. I don't know that if we went back and looked at the last 10 years, it would look the same. Maybe it would. But uh, the reality is, is that you're not simply giving teams enough time to figure it out in that period of time. And, and, and look, there are going to be teams. There's no question every year. And that, and really one of the bigger problems in baseball is the haves and the have nots. And so in, in a 150 game season or 162 game season, you clearly know going into the year, probably, I mean, maybe more, but five teams that just don't have a chance. Like you just right. know that there's no chance. And because of that, there you're going to be creating five teams that you know have a really good chance. And so most of the things at the top are going to be the same, but the Nationals is really one team that needs to be highlighted and it really supersedes all of the division winners and all of the wild cards because that is the story amongst all of this is that they basically were nowhere on the radar and then ended up, you know, having that great run and winning the World Series of uh, the San Francisco Giants who were not a really good team last year had one of the best stretches in baseball over a 30-game period to get themselves back in it uh, for Bruce Bochy, and that's why they didn't trade Bumgarner, and they kind of went into the end of the season like that. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe you would have 80% of the teams after 50 games knowing what they were, but you can't take that chance to leave the 20% out because that may be the World Series champ. 
Well, you make a great point because when you think about the American League Central specifically, I think last year everybody knew that the Royals and Tigers pretty much had no chance. And the White Sox were a young team kind of building towards something. So maybe just by default, you knew it was going to be the Indians and the Twins at the top of that division. And that's fair. Uh, that's absolutely fair to understand. But that's also a problem with Major League Baseball in that sense of, yeah, look, every league has haves and have not. Like you, we, we talked about the NFL, Jacksonville, probably not looking like a winning team this year, right? But anything can happen in the NFL a little bit more than anything can happen in Major League Baseball. And I wonder if that's also partially because the season's so long that teams that maybe don't have the resources can't compete over 160 plus games because you're you don't have the same kind of revenue stream. You don't have the same kind of investment on players you can make. And and maybe a shortened season is the only way you can get hot and actually be a, an organization in a smaller market that can contribute. I think there's there's something to be said to considering that notion, too, where I think it's very difficult for smaller market teams to compete over a marathon as opposed to over a sprint when you're asking them to get hot for a short period of time and be relevant. And then who knows what can happen? 162. It's a lot of time there. And the National League end of things, the uh, kind of surprising thing was that the Braves were not in the front of this division at this time. It was actually the Philadelphia Phillies at 28 and 20. The Braves would have been a wild card team right behind them at 26 and 23. Uh, the Mets were 22 and 25 in the East and the Nationals were just 19 and 29. So the Nationals at this point in time, our World Series champions, were in fact 10 games under 500. So they weren't Crazy. even close when you consider where that is. And I think so much of baseball too is injuries. When do they happen to a team? Do they happen in the first half? Do they happen in the second half? And the magnitude of that, and obviously injuries are going to be magnified even greater over a shorter sample size too, which is a big negative for baseball because baseball is a game where we've seen, I don't know if I want to say more injuries, but more IL stints. Now, I don't know how you feel about this or that trend or what you've seen, but how much do you want to factor that into this Major League Baseball season too? Do you think there's a certain logic here in baseball players' minds where they go, you know what, we've got four more months of a season. I'm going to take these two weeks and get right as opposed to trying to play through an injury. Whereas if there was a shortened season, 74 games, 50 games, what have you, that players would be more apt or less apt to go on the IL and more apt to play through injuries. Yeah, I mean, and this is where the acrimony also comes in with the owners and the players, too. And that's that that would be a concern for me uh, because of that. Yeah, I mean, a shortened season is definitely the primary risk. But there's, you know, with everything that's happened back and forth and the players playing for a new CBA, I would have to wonder uh, of guys pushing it to the next level. And the other thing that I would tell you that is probably different than anything that we've seen in the past, uh, you know, teams that get off to bad starts. In a short season, I don't think we're going to sniff them, any of their major league pitchers at all down the stretch. Like, there, there just would be no reason, you know? Like, once once you start off and there are, let's say, 30 games and you're 8-22, and 22, like, you, that's it. Like, you just may as well stop. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why the fantasy element of this is going to be so incredibly oh, difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the very fantasy scary. element, I think, is— I think, I think we may be done. I think we may be done. In nearly impossible 50 games, you know, just to hit the rest of these divisions too, just to give people a picture of what it looked like. Uh, the National League Central was the Cubs at the top of it with 28 and 18 record. The Brewers were behind them, also 28 wins with two games behind them in the loss column. And then, of course, the Dodgers were at the top of the West, which is where the Dodgers finished. So, you know, the Brewers, the Dodgers, uh, the Atlanta Braves, you know, it was kind of the usual suspects for the most part. But, Craig, I think when you look at this, I think it was actually surprising to me how close it was, except for the Washington Nationals, who were 10 games out, ended up again. We all know the rest of that story. And I, it did make me wonder, if we continue to go back season after season, how impactful is, is a long season? Is it basically telling us the same thing that 50 games tells us? And if so, is that something for us to really sit back and think about and say, well, well, heck, is, is a longer season really, oh, well, you know, you really get a better sense of a team after 162 games. I kind of wonder if you do. <laughs> like, maybe 50 or 80 games does well, tell I mean, the I, tape for the most part. I mean, I don't think you can do that, though. I mean, look, again, the World Series champion is is the key to this whole thing. Where, okay. you know, who won the World Series and what was their record after 50 games? I mean, it's anecdotal because you're just looking at last season. Again, we'd have to take the sample right. over the last five or ten years. That's the only fair way to do it. But simply put, based on the data of last year, it's epic. 
you had the World Series champ not making it and not even be close. The is other team also too. is it also based to a certain extent of how certain teams are built? Like the Nationals, for instance, were a team, you know, that had three tremendous starting pitchers. When you get right. all three of those guys healthy, a short se- a short series, they are absolutely a favorite to win because they can throw Scherzer and Corbin and Strasburg at you. They, and they other could, teams but we that wouldn't have thought that after 50 games last well, no. year. Well, I mean, I think we would think that any we, – we know a lot in the past. We would think that if they got there, but they, were, but they were 10 games under. So who would have thought they that were. they would get there? The best pitcher from the 50-game point on in the National League led his team to the playoffs too. The St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Flaherty, where's he? Nowhere to be found here. After 50 games, it looked like Flaherty was a bust. He was amazing. He was basically from exactly, and and he carried them. He was an ace. He was probably the best pitcher in the National League from May on. Statistically, it's hard to argue that he wasn't. Uh, By the way, he's been an excellent follow on Twitter during the whole back and forth. If you're looking for a ray of sunshine in the Major League Baseball Twitter sphere, I think it's been Jack Flaherty. I don't know if you've been following his tweets at all. I know you kind of. You know, Pat off, but like he's he actually got up, I think, on Sunday morning and he had a tweet that said, uh, what happened today? <laughs> like a question mark or something like that. Or like he's just been fun. Like it's just you know, it's nice to see somebody that just kind of takes the edge off a little bit. But like I said, this was more of a, a fun little social experiment here. And I I wonder again if there was a shorter season, if teams would start to construct teams differently. And I wonder if you would have as much of the, I don't know, hyper-specialization that we've had. Because all of a sudden, over 162 games, we've had enormous specialization because, you know what, well, let's get this guy to face this guy in this moment and all these things like that. Whereas maybe you do go back to an era where pitchers are pitching nine innings and things like that when you don't have to throw as many innings. And that's, again, there's pluses and minuses to all that. It's just good questions. There's no answers. I don't have them. You don't have them. But we're going to be living in a new reality, and the fantasy implications of that reality beyond DFS, DFS will be fine. DFS, Major League Baseball, perfectly fine. Just give us a game. But season-long, season-long, a 50-game schedule potentially or something like that, I'm with you. In those season-long Roto Leagues especially, it's like, what what is the point? I don't know. And head-to-head is even more difficult. In head-to-head leagues, what do you— It's just changed. Yeah, a month month ago, I thought— it was going to be the best time ever for fantasy baseball a month ago because I thought, hey, they're going to get this thing done. It's going to be 110, 115 games. We get our fantasy back. People are going to rush to redraft again. Now that's cut in half. Like, I mean, I just did not anticipate it being potentially this low. So I, I think that that definitely has are to be Are you worried about fantasy baseball coming back next year? You're not worried not about at baseball all. coming it's, it's back. The same, the, same people, the same people who played will be playing again. Okay. Um it's, 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 you know, there's a hundred people playing fantasy sports, 80 of them are playing fantasy football, 20 of them are playing fantasy baseball, and the True. same 20 are always going to be playing fantasy baseball. And if it goes down, it'll be 17. It's the same small niche of people. It's yeah. not growing. It's not getting less. It's just staying the same. I think, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that will change. Um, and I, and also, by the way, in terms of scheduling, the only way that there'll be less regular season games in baseball if there will be more postseason games, which is possible, but that's the only way because of the TV money. Got to make sure you keep the money. All right. All right uh, coming up next, uh, after our hourly break, we're going to hit on some quick trivia. We also are going to touch on some of the fantasy players that were drafted in the baseball draft last week that I think and Joe thinks could make an impact on fantasy baseball as soon as maybe this year, if not next year. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 